Have you ever gotten your message lost in translation? Launched a well-thought-out content on social media only to get lost in the noise? Welcome to the Moving Beyond Acronyms Podcast. We are here to help you with practical tools to find your voice, craft shareable content, stand out in the marketplace, expand your tribe, and convert followers into ambassadors or customers. I'm Torrent, your host, a message master that's helped leaders, entrepreneurs, and businesses ignite their message with lasting impact. Each week, we will go behind the scenes to share real and deep conversations with the most prominent message masters on how they took an idea and crafted content that have trended to the stratosphere, boosted the bottom line, and improved the world around them. Now, let's get started. Creating new business opportunities during a downturn. That is what Shul Ahmed knows how to do. On his LinkedIn profile, he has crisis is an opportunity. And he has faced many. In 2014, when he started Enery, an online magazine for the oil and gas industry, he immediately faced a downturn in the industry sector and had to find a way to climb himself up from a startup to becoming one of the most influential online publications in Norway. And how has he done it? Because he thinks outside of the box. He's an engineer, not a communications person. And I believe that's really one of his secret sauce on finding these innovative ways in communications. So today we're going to talk about how to innovate himself out of COVID. Well, he's done slow TV, robots, streaming, and podcasts. So let's hear it for sure. Well, welcome to Moving Beyond Acronyms. We're going to have our Norwegian guest, which I'm really excited about. We have known each other for, I think, almost seven or eight years. And I've really seen him grow his business. And it's called enerwe.com, which is E-N-E-R-W-E. Shul is Norwegian, and he has been a marine engineer at the Norwegian University of Technology and Science. And he has, from there, taken this passion within energy and grown a really profitable media house that is very unconventional. And that's what I'm really excited about is to talk about this new emerging business model that he's created. And I've not seen this anywhere else, but could be a model of the future. So welcome, Shuri. Thank you for having me here, <laughs> Very good. So I just wanted to maybe start out with, how did you go from being a marine engineer? And I think maybe explaining what a marine engineer, because when I think of a marine engineer, I think of plants but it's not really plants. Well, I think it's also uh, called naval architect. It's construction of oil platforms or uh, ships. So it's a master's degree in uh, technology. It's about building things. So it was about building things. So you were into the building things. And how did you get from there to, to establishing a whole media company? I always dreamt about uh, working in the media from I was 14 uh, years old. I had a media topic uh, at school. Unfortunately, I ended up uh, being uh, a naval architect or being civil engineer, which we call it in Norway. Civil engineer. Uh, yeah. But during my time, I worked uh, after, after studying. I worked uh, in a company called uh, Tintef one year and then a company called Mintra. And I explored more and more the media thing uh, when I worked in the oil industry. So uh, after 12 years in Mintra, I jumped out and started a media company, which was what I always had dreamt about. Yeah, but you did it because you were part of a big sell, sell of a company, right? 
Uh, yeah, we we built Mintra. We built Mintra from uh, small small uh, startup to a large uh, international company. So we sold it in uh, 2014 for approximately 50 million dollars. Uh, so then we could do whatever we wanted. So and then I started a media company. Yeah. So then you used some of that funding. You started a media company. That's kind of when I met you, and it was really fascinating because you. Um, I met you when you did this conference for communicators within energy. And I thought it was so nice because there was no niche like that. And I remember you were seeking funding for that conference, which I was really impressed was a huge success the first time you even started it. <laughs> yeah, and that's a little bit funny because we did not have offices. We sat in our bedrooms so with a tutor. <laughs> it was me and a friend of mine, and we, we wondered how. How how can we make a media company? Well, let's put all the media stars in Norway to see them. So we invited the communication directors in the large energy companies to to present at the scene, and then everybody thought that oh, uh, energy uh, they must be big. But uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, but when the communication directors uh, were presenting at the scene, it was good stuff. And then uh, people thought, oh, Henry, that's good stuff. So, it, yeah. Then we were- I know. I was really impressed. You had over 100 people. And that's, and that's a big conference for Nori because we can't forget that Nori's only 5 million people. So getting some of the top uh, communications director within a small niche of energy, and at that point it was just oil and gas, you were, you were able to get a lot of key people. And it was very informative. I really appreciated the conference. And I kept going ever since because I just thought it was such an informative place and platform to meet people to dis- discuss these issues so that was a really amazing kickoff I'm glad that you uh, say so because we discussed how to uh, do the marketing for our company we could pay for marketing or we could get you pay us for yeah. the marketing so we, why not so you and a lot of other people to attend our marketing show, uh, you did not uh, understand that, or you did, did not feel that it was a marketing show. But it, it was uh, a roadshow to to show who we were and who we are. I didn't realize that. That's quite brilliant. You were using us as your marketing folks, and we were paying for the attendance and all that kind of thing. That's that's yeah, wow. It's it's much better for a startup that you pay us for marketing than uh, the opposite. Wow, I didn't realize that. Well, that was a huge kickoff. And what was fascinating at that time, I think you were pitching us for us to be able to put our press releases on your website and we would pay a certain amount and then you would promote it. So in the beginning, my impression of Enerwe was it was a website to help communicators put out their news and then it just kept growing. Tell us about that. That was such a fascinating start. Yeah, it started to be a place where you could put your press uh, releases. But then we saw that uh, or realized that we had to be on the agenda for uh, the decision makers in order to give value back to those who paid us to uh, publish their press releases. So what you're saying is that you had us, you had us with the conference, you had us at hello, which which a friend of mine always likes to say, and then you realized that to keep us, you had to find a way to get access to the decision makers. Yeah. And, the, and the, in the energy industry, the, the decision makers might be uh, CEOs, but it might also be politicians. We had to 
be sure that the, the, the CEOs and the politicians uh, read the stuff that they published. And that, that was why we, uh, we started to also be a kind of a normal newspaper, uh, like uh, with the editorial stuff. So how did that go? Because what was interesting in the beginning, I didn't really, I didn't say yes to the press release because I was, I've always believed in the journalists writing about things. But what I really find interesting is you created this middle ground. How did you go from getting us giving you money for the press releases and then building up to being an editorial board? How did you bridge the gap? For some years, there was a gray zone there. And that's not good. But uh, uh, that's history now. There's also gray. It so. But it did work, though. It worked to go from the gray zone to where you are now. Yeah, and, and it was necessary because we came from nothing and we had to prove who we wanted to be. And what I realized was that I'm good at marketing. I'm good at uh, making podcasts and, and things like that. But I'm not very good at uh, to be the editor-in-chief. Mm. So, I, so I, I had to find someone who could fill that, that role to be the editor-in-chief. Uh, and that person had to be that strong that he could say no to me. Uh, no to you. Yeah, because he had to be, if I said we should write about this and this, I needed one to say no, that's not what we're going to write about. We are going to write about something else. Because it could not be the money that could decide what he should write about. Wow. So, so I you needed really someone. created a whole media house. So you went like, you took the gray zone and you cleaned it up by getting in an edit, a chief editor. And then uh, we grew and uh, employed a new uh, journalist uh, last year. She is 100% not payable. Not payable, what does that mean? That means that I can't say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hunting the money, but I can say what she is going to write. It's the editor-in-chief that decides what she is going to write. So you've slowly but surely created a wall between you as the publisher with the funding and then creating an editor and a journalist where they, you have no say on what they're doing. Yeah, and that's uh, how it is in uh, almost all newspapers. But uh, I think that what differs us is that you can pay us to publish your press release. So it almost becomes like a mix. So when you, when you have articles on your website, you have the journalist writing, you have the editor-in-chief writing, and they will publish key things. But then you have press releases in between, or do you designate differences between the press uh, release and the... Uh, we bundle it. So it's in between, but uh, it's uh, commercials. But it's, uh, yeah. So you, you've blended the commercial. So it's almost like content marketing with basic news stories, kind of like what New York Times is doing now, but you've mixed it very well. Yeah, the way things are. Yeah. Yeah. And you've done, and what, what's really been fascinating is is the whole podcast journey. Yeah. Um, that is really, because what you've done is you've, you've done the press releases, which makes you money. You have then the news stories that makes it interesting because you're getting a lot of decision makers. But you're also journalists. You get a lot of the decision makers too. So are you a journalist too? I'm what we call a paid journalist. So the one that uh, reads what I publish or uh, listen to my podcast uh, should not be, uh, they should always know that it's paid content. It's paid content. So you yeah. do the content yeah. marketing, yeah. yeah. 
but we tried uh, first we tried to do a, a non-content marketing podcast but it's very difficult to define the business model for such a podcast so what we did was to uh, to make a hundred percent content marketing podcast so now you can pay me or pay the company to have 15 minutes uh, talk with me and uh, that that uh, that works with the podcast, so how let's let's take the issue of CCS. When I worked at Gus Noel, we were really interested in that issue. So we came to you and we said, "Hey, we'd love this podcast on CCS." Now, what was great is we worked together, and then the model that we had for this one was you had key businesses sponsoring it, but we helped you with the content. Yeah, and uh, the result was four episodes about carbon capture and storage. And I, I think that what, what differs our podcast with uh, other podcasts, it's not that like I have to agree with those who pay. I ask questions. I'm critical. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, I may disagree, but we have a, a good discussion. So, so uh, what, what the advertisers actually pay for, that they have the uh, ability to say or tell their uh, side of the story. Because in the in the uh, in the television or radio, you have, might have uh, fifteen seconds to say something, and then uh, then there's a new person saying something, and the interview is over. Right. What the advertisers pay for is that they can uh, <laughs> say whole sentences and not uh, being. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah. And and I know, and that's what I love. I love the. I wish this, the four part series could have been translated into English because I really love the series on carbon capture storage, which is a very technical issue. It's very hard to explain. And I really believe the product by having so many different companies sponsor this podcast, you got the different vantage points of all the people in the podcast, but it became a series a four part series explaining what does this technology actually do and what is it going to do for the Norwegian economy? Then that's why I don't really feel like, you're really content marketing per se. I feel like you're almost like journalist content marketing because I, I feel like a lot of the pieces that you do, and that's why I was fascinated with your business model, is you've been able to create a zone where it's not just content marketing. You're creating something that's very newsy. So when I listen to you or I read your pieces along with the other pieces, I feel like they are on the same caliber of the the stories that are coming from the editorial side of your company. Yeah, and, and what we say is that you should. We're always talking about energy because we're we're news magazine for the energy industry. So what we say is that you you should always learn something new about energy, listening to our podcast. Mm-hmm. So it's so we have learning objectives. We have we have a kind of method to to produce these podcasts, or let's say in another way. If the person that is listening uh, feels that it's uh, commercial, then we fail. Next week, uh, we're going to produce uh, actually two podcasts in English, one about hydrogen and uh, one about the energy sensation. That's great because by the time your podcast is out, we'll put the links to your English versions on the show notes. Yeah. So people can see what what you're producing. So they can see what, what I'm talking about because I think a lot of times with content marketing, it feels it can feel commercial, but what I feel that your method has done is it's really provided a journalistic feel where you're getting all sides, and yet all sides feel like they're winning in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah, and uh, when uh, 
large organizations ask us uh, to produce a podcast. Uh, they often ask uh, to to invite the persons that disagree with them into the podcast as well. So, so kind of like your business model is that you're really journalist marketing. Yeah, that <laughs> might be a new word. <laughs> you no, do seriously, that because word, I don't so. feel you. I don't feel like you fill fill in the content marketing like the way I see content marketing because it's really about how great you are and all these things. And that's why I wanted to explore the business model because I didn't really understand it, but now. I'm getting a sense of it. You do have the journalistic, you have the editor, you have the journalist that you can't touch. But what I find fascinating with the NRE is your component where you're getting these podcasts that feel like they're journalistic pieces. But at the same time, me as a communications director was able to work with you on getting some key issues out there because you were helping fund it from different points. And when the end product became a really good journalistic piece. Yeah, uh, the only thing that is important is that uh, we always have this voice telling that you're listening to content marketing because it's important that uh, the listener knows that someone had paid us to make this. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right about the paid thing, but I think the quality of why why do people keep coming back to your mm-hmm. podcast? Why are you having such a high level? And, and you're one of the leaders in podcast in Norway. People are coming to you for education. You're one of the person that speaks about podcasting is that you've really found a way to get a content marketing that's paid, but it's such quality that people look at it more so as a journalistic piece. So I've, I've really, really liked it. I'm looking forward to the next week with the English. That's cool. You're, you're venturing out into English. Yeah, actually, I, I don't like uh, speaking English. I'm much better in the uh, Norwegian, but when the advertiser asks us to speak English, we yeah, speak English. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting, so you have, so there's several marketing components you have to pay the bills. You have the podcasting, then you have your events, which you've got some really cool niche events. It's not just about communications, but you've really branched out to a lot of areas within energy. And then the third one, which we haven't really talked about, is your advertising. How have you done that? Because that's been really interesting, the way you've pitched it. Like, when you've pitched to us, it's like, you know what? When you advertise with us, you are funding good journalism. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Because I think that's a really, it's a really interesting sales pitch, in a sense. Well, we just say that if you want to have a newspaper in Norway covering the energy industry every day, not always the angle or pitch that you like, but we cover the energy industry every day from all different sides. If you want us to stay alive, then you have to advertise. And we have a lot of advertisers that say that, okay, uh, we can advertise uh, on your news magazine, but we can only advertise if you also write critical about our industry because they don't want to finance someone that always says what they want to say. They want to finance someone that makes the debate, the energy debate, that brings better quality into the energy debate. That's what I want to try to say, yeah. That's interesting. Do you think that's a Norwegian thing? Do you think it's the Norwegian attitude, or is it just that they believe that if if it's not good journalism where you're critical towards the energy industry, it's not going to be a good place? Well, what you see is that you get more and more fake news, and, and that's a problem. I think what we try to do is the opposite. We don't uh, hunt clickbaits or uh, uh, 
headlines that were like sexy or uh, things like that in, in in the in the title. We try to bring statistics. We try to bring uh, facts into the debate. And what we say that it's okay that people uh, can argue, but uh, it's better to argue about the facts uh, or, or argue when you have the facts than argue with uh, fake, uh, fake news as a baseline. So I think that uh, a lot of companies that uh, advertise over news magazine, they see that we bring a sound or a good tone into the energy debate. And that's probably where your editorial board really helps you. Like yeah. having an editor and having a journalist is that, that they really provide maybe more critical. But you've also been critical, which I've, I've really, what's interesting, and I think I really want to go into that too, because you do the marketing through ads where you're getting this, it's almost like you're getting patrons, like in the olden days where you had a famous painter would have patrons pay him to create artwork. So what you are actually created is almost like a patron model in the way you're selling it, where you're getting people to pay you to create work, but you're independent from the person that's giving you the money. Yeah, yeah that's, that's correct. Oh, that's interesting. That's a very, that's a very fascinating because what I've always been interested in when I've been following you is you're, all, you're quite a bit, and I think that's a really thing I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about. You're really a social media personality. Like in the beginning yeah. when I knew you, no one really knew you, you know what I mean? Like when I was going into certain circles, but in the last couple of years, I've been going to conferences and, and then I say, I know Shul. Oh, you know Shul. Oh, he does that great podcast. He does this great social media. You've really been able to create this personality, which helps people want to come to Emory. Could you tell us a little bit about that? We tried different strategies when it comes uh, on social media. We started to just uh, use the the, the Enerwe account when posting uh, on social media. But we saw that the comments when we posted with the Enerwe account were only negative comments. Only negative so, comments. Yeah, oh, uh, and that's that's not good for the, the energy debate. So what we, we tried to then was to use me as a person posting. And then, uh, of course, we got a lot of negative comments, but, but we also got more analytics, more sound discussions uh, uh, when I posted. And now we see that people from the government, people from uh, CEOs, a lot of uh, politicians, they discuss uh, when I post uh, on uh, Facebook or Twitter. And uh, that both uh, drives traffic into our web magazine, but it also uh, gives a good discussion in itself. And, and the discussion has a value. And when we say that we are going, we, we try to bring uh, facts into the debate and we try to build a good quality on the debate, we see that uh, this quality exists when I post on social media. My wish is that we also could manage to do this on with a company account because what happens if I die? <laughs> it's a little bit too dependent on, on the persons. But the way that social media works is that people want to talk with people, not brands. Oh, I love that. That's really true. People want to talk with people, not brands. Wow. And it's really true because I, I remember when you had this one question, you were criticizing an event that didn't have enough women like why are we not honoring that we have more women and what's really in norway 
more than anything in the U.S. and try to explain to our listeners is that, Nora, you really have this threshold of wanting events to have 45 percent women and 55 percent men or possibly the other way around. But you really want to have a balance. You don't want to have too many women and you don't want to have too many men. As a publisher, you are really critiquing the energy industry of not having enough women when there are qualified women that can speak. And it became a very fascinating debate because you not only that, but you've done several issues where you're really, you as a person are critiquing the energy industry and you're really creating an interesting debate. That's a good thing with having, it's not that I'm important, but I'm having a role uh, in, the, in the energy industry. And for this discussion, I'm a man. It's better that a man asks why there's so few women at scene than if a woman, a woman asks the same question. I can use the role that I have to ask such questions. I don't have to have the answer, but when politicians, when CEOs, and when you and me and other participate in the debate, it might take us a little bit, one step forward. Yeah, no, it's been really fascinating. And, and you've got like uh, ministers commenting on, on, the, on the things. You have really the top leaders in Norway within the energy industry. When you come up with an argument like that, if it's on Twitter, if it's on Facebook, it seems like most on Facebook, you're really getting a good debate. Yeah, it was not our strategy in the first time because the strategy was to use the Envy brand. But um, uh, yeah, as I said, people want to talk to people. And, and it's so funny because you've... Um, during COVID-19, what's been interesting, you've, you've used social media in a very creative way. In Norway, we have something called slow TV, where you will, and, and, and it's fascinating because in the U.S., they've been really fascinated with slow TV. And we're going to put a link to slow TV so you'll know what it is. But slow TV is where you, you see a train just ride and you're just seeing it slowly, or you see a fire in the fireplace. And what you've done is you did slow TV while you're working in your home office. Yeah, well, it started just as a joke because we have this a lot of slow TV in Norway. So when and during the COVID nineteen, when everybody moved to the home office, I put a camera up at, and uh, made slow TV on, on Facebook, streaming myself for several hours. What we saw was that during the COVID nineteen or in the, in the start, the first phase of the the crisis, we realized that there was. No point in uh, trying to email or phone decision makers in order to ask them for uh, to advertise on our page because they had their focus on their family. On they were then maybe they were, were afraid of getting fire uh, fire or their job was in uh, there was a crisis at their job. So in a situation where we could not reach out with emails or phones, we had to do something else. So so we started to stream our office from the beginning of the day until the end of the working day so people could see us working. And, so just and basically that, just see you working. Yeah. Because yeah, I've been but, seeing it. I just see you with the microphone. I see you with the laptop. I just... Yeah. And that works because uh, it was like hanging around uh, in the city. People, when they scrolled on Facebook, they saw me sitting there working and then they said hello. I answered hello, and then we had a chat, and and, so, and then we agreed to have a web meeting, and it was all from the oil and energy minister in Norway to different CEOs to to people that I went to school that I hadn't seen for twenty years. So uh, it was a kind of getting in touch with the 
the, all my friends uh, on Facebook. It was kind of social thing in the when we uh, in the lockdown, but it it was also generating uh, money because um, uh, we have uh, professional uh, streaming equipment and we we can do streaming for companies. And what people saw was that we had more professional uh, equipment than uh, than the uh, common communication uh, departments in the different companies. So uh, they asked me. Can you do this for us? So oh, suddenly, so you can so like suddenly, a new business line. Yes, yeah, so suddenly, and, and that was not planned, but suddenly we got uh, a lot of work for uh, organizations or companies that needed more professional uh, streaming uh, during web meetings, during a time where people could not meet. So the only thing that I did was to put the microphone and some uh, professional cameras uh, in my home office, and I pushed play. Then people uh, phoned me and asked, "Can you this for? Can you do this for us?" So, That's so now, uh, now we are doing a lot of work for uh, different uh, companies. And what we launched was a new Norwegian site for uh, webinars in the energy industry. So now we gather webinars in the energy industry, and we help people both to the technical uh, issues uh, on webinars, uh, but also to market their webinars. So. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. So you create a whole new business just by doing slow TV where you're sitting there and you get to meet people that friends from 20 years ago, you have the energy minister calling you because they know you're available. Yeah. So you were touching people's hearts. It was touching me. I was like, I was laughing when you're doing it. It seems like, oh, there's you. He's working. And then because you demonstrated that, you were then able to create a whole new line of business doing webinars because you've done quite a bit of live like internet events, like conferences on issues and stuff like that? We done, for instance, last week, we did a large meeting with uh, people from uh, the government discussing uh, different uh, financial packages uh, for the oil industry, the COVID-19 issues. uh, And uh, they needed uh, someone to help them to get a lot of people from different places in Norway into the same scene. This is something that a lot of companies can do, but uh, I think that they they wanted us to do the job because they scrolled the Facebook and saw that oh, they can do it. Henry can do it. Showing you were showing something and people saw it. Yeah, because what we do is there's hundreds, maybe thousands of Norwegian companies that can do it, but it doesn't help that you can do it and and it's a secret because you can do it and you're sitting in your own cellar doing it. You have to show people that you can do it. Show people that you can do it. Wow, that's really impressive. What else did you do for COVID? Was there anything else that really worked for COVID-19? Well, what what we see now is that before COVID-19, the plan was to go to Trondheim in Norway to do a podcast on uh, a large conference, but the conference was cancelled. So there was not, the podcast was also cancelled. But what we see now is that this job uh, will be uh, for us bigger uh, because of the COVID-19. Because, bigger because uh, of COVID-19. Wow. Yeah, because wow. Uh, when when people realize that if you can't meet, then you have to do podcasts or then you have to do more webinars or uh, you have to do things online. And uh, that's uh, during the whole, uh, from our start, uh, we've been eager to learn new things on a new uh, online uh, technology. So, uh, so now we're doing more podcasts uh, for companies because of the COVID-19. That's interesting. 
That's supposed more business. But I also think you work very smart. And I think that's the last issue I really want to talk about, which I really have brought you in because when we work with the European Association for Communications Directors, I really feel like you have an innovative new idea, not just on how to market new ways like you did with COVID, but you're using to save money, you're using robots to write stories. Tell me about that. That is really interesting. Uh, it's interesting, but it's uh, not very high tech. Uh, for instance, if you if you write an email to a person and you write one email, then you do it manually. Right. If you write two emails of the same kind, you do it manually. If you you are writing five or ten uh, emails that uh, that use the same uh, text, then you should use a template. Agree. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, if, 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 right, okay. Yeah. When you are producing podcasts, when you send an email to me and to the next guest and to the next guest, that should be a template to save time telling something about the podcast. And then you can fill in something why you want this guest into your studio. Right. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so that's something that people understand that if you, instead of writing, writing the same email, with just a little bit, a little tweak on each email, you should use a template. The same uh, when it comes to conference. If you, when a person uh, registers for conference, right, uh, the automated email that he or she receives should right. be a template. If there's 200 persons on a conference, it's not a good to do it individually. Uh, just yeah, yeah. doing it the same, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you take this into the journalism. If a journalist writes about, uh, for instance, the oil price and something about uh, currency or and how this will uh, impact Norway, uh, because Norway are dependent on, on the oil uh, on the oil price, you can write it once, and then the, the oil price differs a little bit, uh, it uh, decreases or increases, then you can write this article twice. But if you write this ten times then it should be based on a template. And the template should be what we call a robot. It's not actually robots, it's uh, computer scripts. So the input might be the oil price mm -hmm. and uh, the currency for uh, dollars and Norwegian crowns and the state budget. Uh, and then you have a template or a script that's, that writes this article saying that the oil price is, and then what uh, the input, what the oil price is. This is something below what the Norwegian government has predicted in their budget. And then, then you can have a short article about what, what impact will the, um, uh, this low oil price have on the Norwegian society. And then it's important to have uh, that the script differs between sentences so that you don't have the, the same copy paste just only with some difference yeah you have to have the, the robot or the script have to choose between different uh, ways of saying things wow so you, so have you created these templates yourself or has or is the robot able to be creative within the template so basically what you're saying with the template it's like it would be like the oil price the currency of norwegian what the state budget is so there's like that's yeah. like it's like a basically yeah. the state of the oil price in Norway and what, what does that impact? So then what you're doing is does the robot, can it choose itself or have you given it multiple choices of words 
that it uses? At the moment, it's not artificial intelligence. It's, it's just a different. We have hard coded the different. Uh, yeah. But uh, we see that uh, the technology is going so fast. So it's not a long time until the robot can choose more itself. What is important is that we are not uh, developing robots. We are using existing technology uh, in the cloud and putting things together uh, for the purpose of journalism. That's interesting. So you're basically creating templates of news stories that journalists used to write, which were kind of boring to write because it's the same thing over and over again. And you've hard-coded in various alternatives that the robot itself can choose, and you are not really part of the template process. One question is, why should someone would like to read something that nobody wants to write? Exactly. That's interesting. Uh, but it's statistics, it's facts, and people want to know the facts. And if a robot can process a lot of information into something that means something for you, hmm. then it's interesting because the oil price itself, it's not interesting. But if that means that for, for the reader, if that means that uh, the schools will have 10% lower budget or the hospitalities will have 10% lower budget next year because uh, the eco- economy are going down, then it's interesting. And that's what, what uh, the robot can say something about. Well, that's interesting. So the robot really is a way of finding facts, bringing it to you in a way that you need it to live your life or to set the budgets that you have, but it doesn't go into more of independent thinking quite yet. No, no. And I I think that that's not necessary because when we have these robots writing these kind of articles, then my colleagues can uh, focus on more interesting things. Uh, and like my, uh, like the editor in chief, he says that he did, he did not educate to be a journalist to write the same article every week. Uh, he wants to use his brain for something more interesting than just uh, getting one number here and one number there, put it in, uh, together and. That's a robot. <laughs> yeah, that's a robot. <laughs> that's really fascinating. So if you look at the way robots have helped you in your journalistic pieces with these template pieces that everyone really needs, but journalists don't like to do. What do you see in the future that you might be doing to make life easier? Do you think that they're going to have a bigger role or do you think it's more finding more templates in your job that you might assign a robot to do? Uh, We think that at the moment, everything that we produce, you can read, uh, listen or see videos for free. There's no paywall. But we think that uh, that we or our, our plan is to, to launch a paywall so that things that the robot writes should be behind the paywall. Oh, the robot stuff should be behind the paywall. Yeah. Because, uh, because the, that's uh, analytics uh, uh, that might be reports. We can do more and more detailed re- reports on, uh, on the energy industry using robots. And that's, that will have a value for not for the common reader, but for a small group of people. And we believe that they would be willing to pay for this information. What they really pay for them is not the information, but it's they pay because they save time, because the information is available. But, uh, but uh, the robots can make it more pedagogical. Yeah, so they can read 
what the robot writes, and they can read it, uh, use five minutes instead of 30 minutes. And then it would have a value. So that's interesting. I would, I would have thought the other way around. But what you're actually saying is the paywall would be for a more niche group of people that need statistics and information that a robot can do. And that'll have a specific paywall because that has a different role than just reading the news. Yeah. And, we, and maybe we, maybe a human will present some of the findings that the robot finds. So it's not like only text, only robot text, but, uh, but we think that the reader should pay for information that the robots uh, finds and process. So clients should pay for the information that the robot finds. And process um, uh, oh. in a way that the, the reader understands. So when will you launch that? Hopefully in uh, the next year. Okay, I'll have to have you back then to let me know how it goes. Because that's like such an opposite way. Like I would, uh, when you think of the Wall Street Journal or uh, New York Times, they have a paywall for, for information that's being written. But it's interesting how you're valuing what the robots are doing, making life easier. And so people are paying for having their life made easier with what the robot brings together. Hopefully. <laughs> yes, that's great. Wow. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. The last question I have in which I ask everyone is, actually before that, I actually want to ask you, do you have a hack, something that makes your life easier, like a software, a way to do things that makes your life easier? That must be uh, sapir.com. Sapir? Yeah. And what's that? Software that uh, integrates everything. For instance, if if I think that you are a person that I should make a system of. <laughs> I can say that every time uh, Turun emails me, the email uh, headline should uh, get into a Google Sheet, for instance. It can do anything. So we integrate uh, with CRM, we integrate with everything, with LinkedIn, with uh, Twitter, Facebook. So, yeah. so the system works for us, so we can do more funding. Does it take time to set up? Not uh, much. Not much? Wow. Five minutes. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Wow. That's a new hack. Cool. We'll put that in the show notes. So then my last question is what I was asking was, uh, what is a favorite word commercial or something that's really impact you? And I think because we both love words and media, what is something that's impacted you that you've kind of received in your life? Well, I think uh, it's not a word, but uh, uh, what impacted me was when I, I decided to study marine technology. Okay. There was this uh, flyer. In the, uh, at that time, it was paper. It was in 1995. It was a flyer uh, with a lot of uh, nice pictures from Trondheim, the city of Trondheim, uh, where the university is, and from uh, uh, research where they uh, in... Uh, a large uh, basin with uh, small model boats, small model uh, platforms. I, I just wanted to work with this energy industry. Uh, and I decided it when I saw this, uh, this flyer. So it was a flyer? A good old flyer. A good old flyer got you yeah. into the industry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Do you have the flyer? No, but I remember how it looked like. Yeah. And it was a picture of a mermaid and some uh, ships and uh, some oil platforms. And I thought, yeah, I want to work with that. And but, then then I, and, but then it became media again. <laughs> so, it became yeah. media. Oh, that's great. 
Well, I want to thank you so much. This is really informative. Learned a lot, you know, from Sapier to uh, Slow TV, how that really turned your business around. I think that's something we really need to think about is, is being continually to be creative and continue to be innovative. I have to thank you very much, Shuri. Thank you, Tura, for inviting me here. No, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you know at least one or two friends that would get a lot of value from this, send this episode or text a couple of your friends right now to WhatsApp group, post it on your Instagram stories, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget to tag me at Torin B. Share with anyone you think that needs to hear this message. And if you're new, please pop on over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And how can we prove and make this better? Or how did this help you? And don't forget to join us next week for another episode of Moving Beyond Acronyms.